what do you want to talk about? Uh, I mean, it could be just about anything at all. Yeah. <laughs> Literally anything at all. We could talk about anything in the... Oh, wait, what's this? Hang on. Oh, Dead Rising Endgame! Oh, I, I mean, I guess we... I guess we could talk about that. I guess, yeah. I'll, I'll put away this contract doc. Why did? How was that the gimmick? <laughs> Why did I need paper to? I don't know what. I don't know what the paper I was ruffling was. Was rustling was representing in that moment. It's just activity, a flurry of activity. It was just something. It was just something to do. That's a metaphor for Dead Rising Endgame. Hell yeah! So they, they needed something. For people to to do, so they walked places. <laughs> so, listeners, you've waited a long time for this. Oh boy, yeah. The the anticipation is. I mean, really, legitimately. Thank thank you to everybody who like reached out and and was like, "Are you dead?" Because I do appreciate it. Like, like, clearly, people like this podcast enough to. To the point where it was almost daily uh, that I was getting people asking. So, th- thanks. You can stop now. Yeah. Unfortunately. The bad news is. It's not, it's not like you were waiting all this time for a new spin-off Doctors. For the movie boys to reconvene. <laughs> for something good. Right. It's not like you've sat there thinking, oh, I can't wait for them to talk about Doom Annihilation. Which I am sure will be amazing. Based on the trailer. Yeah, that, that one's going to be great and well worth the wait for that one. But instead, you've waited all this time for Dead Rising Endgame, a film I have watched. I honestly don't, I don't even have things to say about it. A film I have watched three times and successfully managed to forget the special guest star twice. <laughs> yeah, I... I said before we hit record, I said, like, as I was watching it, for every second of information that was going into my head, a previous second was leaving it. So the movie just went through me. I I play a game uh, called Oxygen Not Included, and one of the uh, big aspects of that game is uh, maintaining pressure in between gases yeah you know and gases have different weights and so you can manipulate to move gases through areas and things like that and dead rising endgame it achieves a perfect sort of equilibrium where it just passes right through smoothly and leaves nothing behind yeah for the for the pup for the purposes of this it's the worst film like you've waited for the worst film because it's not good, but it's nowhere near bad enough. Yeah, it's not bad enough to be remarkable. Yeah, at least the first one, at least Dead Rising Watchtower, tried for comedy. Mm-hmm. And had uh, Motti's face. Who was it who played uh, Frank West in that? He's the... Uh, Ribbly Robley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, oh uh, Rob Regal. Rob Regal. At least it had something we could latch on to and talk. This one barely even had zombies. This one was every cliche in the corporate conspiracy storyline chain. Mm-hmm. The hotshot renegade journalist with the bosses who don't want to print the story 
and the defector from the company who wants to help out or does he and the other the other defector from the company who uh is riding along with things until he realizes that it's gotten out of hand and he can use it as an opportunity to seize control himself yeah the guy who you know who is the corrupt corporate executive for whom the corporation's corruption has gone too far but but he's but it's really just a means to an end for him to achieve yeah. yes yeah the loose cannon the loose cannon one who is gung-ho about it uh is in it um the woman one who hasn't been given a personality um because that would take effort which which woman one? Oh, um <laughs> sorry the women ones who have right. no personality sorry about that <laughs> It is so, it is so dry and by the numbers. Yeah. It is, it, like, that's it. it. It is, like, just imagine a film you've seen about a corrupt corporate conspiracy. There's, like, a, a hundred. It is all of those and none of them. If the company that made those paint-by-number oil, you know, kits where you can go home and paint a landscape did one about zombie movies... It would be the poster that was never actually printed and only published digitally for this movie. You see, I don't even... I hesitate to even say it's zombie movie cliches. There aren't enough zombies for that. Like, when zombies happen, absolutely. It's just cliche trash. But it's more... They went for action film. Well, I mean, if you look at Day of the Dead. Zombie stuff barely exists in that, except is you know, things like... You know, Bub, and then ultimately the breakdown that happens. True, but at least the zombie, or at least the situation surrounding the zombies, are used to drive home a narrative point. Sure. Here, they seem to be there as an obligation, because the film is called Dead Rising. They had to have zombies, because they really want to just tell a fucking, like, Bourne conspiracy or, or... Something like a Mission Impossible style action film. I think you're right. And I hadn't realized that the filmmakers, they're trying to communicate that from go. Like the very first actual shot of this film is just an illustration of, yeah, no, this is just going to be some bullshit. Yeah. Right? Because it starts with that, you know, this little zombie girl thing and, and what happens there, which we'll get to in just a few minutes because Lord knows how much preamble could we possibly need for this dog shit. But, um... Yeah, it, you're right. It sets the tone for that, and it is consistent throughout. I will, I will give it that. It is uh, just consistently bland and utterly forgettable, uh, which is why I've managed to do it so well. Yes, uh, I'm really glad I have a script because, <laughs> like, oftentimes what will happen, you know, just to give a peek into the process, I will watch it. I will then watch it again and write the script as I go along watching it. And then we will just go record, usually the same day that I finish the script, because I just have to time it out that way, or we're waiting on me because I'm taking forever, or some of that bullshit. Um, but here, now, we've had like a full week gap yeah, or more since I wrote this. Yeah, we were going to do this last week, but, you know, one of the reasons why this has been delayed is that I've got so many projects on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and I'm in the same position. We just couldn't get it together. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm going to let Jim take all the responsibility for why it's been, like, four months since we put <laughs> an episode out. But I am just as much to play. I will say this. 
I anticipate the next one being sooner mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because I can't wait to watch Doom Annihilation. Oh, is that already available on digital? I saw it on Amazon. Oh, well, fuck. And I was tempted to watch it like before, like before we even had it earmarked for a podcast, but I, I, I managed to resist. I can't wait. There is so There's actually a lot of stuff for us to get to right now. Um, quite a lot, yeah. We didn't even... Did we do Detective Pikachu? Not yet. We haven't done Detective Pikachu yet. Yeah, we haven't even done that. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that from a, like, actually looking forward to seeing that perspective. Uh, we got Angry Birds 2, which I've watched the first, like, opening sequence of it, and I'm not angry yet. <laughs> and I think, like, they know what the fuck they're doing to some extent, and I don't hate it yet. I'm going to find a way to hate it, I'm sure, very, very quickly. Uh, but I'm excited to do that. Uh, the Uva Bowl documentary, uh, Fuck You All. Oh, yeah. Is It came out late last year, and uh, I, I watched that, and that is, huh, that's a thing. I have, I have, I think there are things we could talk about in terms of framing and perspective of a documentary in relation to that film. It is the, interesting. So, yeah, there's... There's cool stuff uh, that we could be doing, and so uh, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm much more motivated to do those things than I was to do Dead Rising Endgame. That's yeah. that's for damn sure. Shall we? Yeah, I think. Do we, we just do it? Yep. Basically, all you need to know about this film is you watch it for an hour and fourteen minutes. You say, "Oh, is that Billy?" Z-? Yes, it is. It's Billy Zane, <laughs> and then you forget everything again. Why? Why is he even here? Why? An hour and 14 in, unless he happened a bit earlier and I just wasn't paying attention. No, no, you see him from the back. Oh, there we go. Yeah, they do a big reveal. It was secretly Billy Zane all along. And it is him. It sure is. It's not how you think of Billy Zane. No. Right? He's very subdued in this. He's very, um, perv stereotype? Yeah. That mustache that he has. Yeah. Well, we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get there. All right, let's get cracking with this one. Oh. We begin with a quick cut credit sequence to, you know, update us on where the story is. Thank God, because I don't know. <laughs> I don't have a clue where we were. It barely even matters as well. Like, I don't even know why they bothered with continuity. I, uh, I do give them, I, I like it. I always like it when they incorporate, uh, when they effectively incorporate real world footage and people into these sorts of montages. And so I thought the Obama thing was pretty well executed. Oh yeah, they have Obama. Yeah. Oh, uh, do you remember, Jim? I mean... Do you remember when we had that war criminal? Yeah. <laughs> that, that liar. And how much better it was with that war criminal and liar. Yeah. <sighs> it's like it's it's like the the it's almost as if it's almost as if the president we have right now is a, a oh god I'm sorry for this it's almost as if he's a bad president now basically they cut in footage of Obama saying all like hey hey what's the deal I'm Obama stop it now um or whatever it is he used to say when he was in charge um as part of their footage, trying to make it look like he's talking about zombies or some shit. Um, you see, I forgot so much about the film, but when Conrad mentioned something that happened, then I remember something that was in the film. Yeah. But that's all I remember about it, is that I remember it was there. So I remember Obama was there. Yeah. 
Yeah, he was there. Yeah. Um, along with... And you were there? <laughs> and you were there. <laughs> oh, there really is no place like home. Uh, so there's news reports about the zombie virus outbreaks and how they're implanting infected people with microchips. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. That's one thing I remember from this film. The amazing um, special effects that went into showing that someone's microchipped and that they've got a a bit of a black band-aid stuck on their shoulder. <laughs> well, and I think most people don't. Most people who are chipped don't have that, like, signifier. But she does because it's to indicate that she made modifications to it. She's got a little black... Just a little black plaster. It looks so... Like, she, she it's, it's the way she lifts, like, pulls down the shirt and then, like, shows it. Yeah. As if it's going to be, like, some, like, big scar or... T- just something worth revealing. Yeah. She does the whole setup for a big reveal, and it's just a little black strip. <laughs> so they're, they're keeping the disease under control with these uh, microchips that they're implanting into infected people to prevent them from fully turning into zombies. And then the montage concludes with questions over the fate of journalist Jordan Clare, who... I believe them when they tell me was captured at the end of the prior film. Yeah, I'm, I'll am i be honest. I'm taking it on faith <laughs> that he was even in the prior film. Yeah, uh, she. I get... Oh. Yeah. Whoever. <laughs> well, but there you go. I, I can't even remember... Yeah. Yeah, I, I, cu- I couldn't even remember the gender, <laughs> what they look like, the fact that they had a name. I'm glad you've confirmed that for me. Oh, well, that's... Oh, we're going to talk about names. We are so going to talk about names because that is a... Th- thing in this fucking movie it's gonna sound to the listener like i haven't watched this i have yeah yeah. i've watched this film and we watched what um dead rising watchtower oh that was so long ago now though i mean that that's been oh that was a thousand years yeah but i feel like i remember dead rising watchtower more than i remember endgame well because i could remember scenes where rob riggle is being interviewed on television he was kind of funny yes i remember yeah he was doing his thing yeah the, the, the wriggle. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, two years following the uh, outbreak in the East Mission quarantine zone, uh, a little girl finds a croquet ball on the street, and then she gets hit by a big truck because she's a zombie. Oh, yeah, that did happen. That's this movie in a nutshell. That was probably the best thing this film did. Yeah, it's well, yeah, and it sets the tone, and it tells you, hey, if you're looking for something thoughtful, if you're looking for something introspective that has something to say about the state of this and humanity and how it relates to us as people, no. We're going to run that zombie girl over in the truck. It also says, quite frankly, if you're expecting zombies in this film, this is the extent. Like, they, I mean, they, they do crop up throughout the film, but it really is like... This sets the tone for how disposable and ancillary to the plot they are. They are device in this. They could have done this film without zombies. Sure. It's that they could have done most of this. They could have done the entire plot without zombies. Anything could have been there. Yeah, you could have had any stand in. It could have been a gas. Yep. It could have been a gas, could have been a drug, could have been werewolves, could have been anything. It's all about evil corporation and... Jason Bourne shit. I've never watched the Bourne films. I don't know if they're about corporate conspiracies, but it feels right to say it. Uh, 
government conspiracies. There's some corporate overlap there. I mean, it's, the, it's basically the same thing. Yeah. It's like this film is trying to be all of those kind of action thrillers. And it's it's not got much action, but it's not it has neither action nor thrills. No thrills. Yep. I tell you what, it's more like it's less like an action thriller, and it's more like a dump coming out of a butt. <laughs> uh, this truck is being driven by soldiers, uh, that and and they're transporting a bunch of people in chains that have duct tape on their mouth. This seems very on the level. Um, cut to Chase Carter, journalist, but with a. A terrified man who apparently has something Chase wants, and they're cowering behind this burned-out car while Chase is communicating with a pair of women in a van, feeding them video from a camera. Uh, this is going to be the first time I point this out, um, not the last, but I just want to set you know, sort of the bench for how early this is so you can sort of play along with us. Uh, we do not know the names of these women. <laughs> We've not been told the names of these women. I mean, to be fair, to be f- to be fair to, to be the fair. film, to be f- to be fair, to be fair, <laughs> to be fair to the film. I don't know the names of anyone. Right. I know I know Billy Zane's name, <laughs> but I'm cheating there because I knew it earlier. Everything else, I don't remember the name of. Uh, so I guess they thought it wasn't important because no one would care. And that's the only credit I'll give them, because otherwise you're completely right. We don't know these people. Right. So Chase is here to report on some kidnapped hostages who are in the military truck. So this is not on the level. Cool. Got verification. But we need proof. So he sneaks into the garage that the truck enters so he can get it all on film, leaving his, you know, informant behind. And inside, he films... uh, his name's General Lyons, but he's the guy who does the Allstate ads. Yeah, yeah. You know, the the, the very sort of confident, comforting, you know, uh, serious. He played the president in, like, the early seasons of 24. I think uh, he may have been in Dead Rising Watch, um, Watchtower as well, maybe. I think he probably was. And I think I probably called him General Allstate then, too, but I'm going <laughs> to continue to do so now. Um So General Allstate is meeting with a group of smugglers, uh, admonishing them for not being subtle enough with their kidnappings. So, okay, now here, bad stuff's happening. Intrigue! Intrigue! And he's not supposed to be here, which is evidenced by one of the ladies in the van hacking his personal schedule and finding out that he's supposed to be in Washington, D.C. all week. She's a hacker. That's what we call character development <laughs> i love her character art <laughs> yeah of becoming a hack of, of being revealed to be a hacker well she hacks one computer <laughs> and then she hacks a different computer how's that for progression well she hacked herself at one point oh god with she hacked herself with a black band-aid yeah so the head of the smugglers complains about having to move these people around but general allstate says that Afterlife is coming soon, and they won't need to do that anymore. Ooh, intrigue. So as it occurs to the smuggler that the end of this arrangement might wind up to be a problem for him, as you can see it sort of dawning on the character, this guy's not a bad actor, by the way. 
Like, he does fine with the most disgusting, sleazy asshole thing. I, you know, probably not necessarily a hard role, but he's got the look for it. He's and, trying. Yeah, he's making an effort. I don't want to shit on everybody involved in this process. Uh, and actually, all things considered, I do think the actors are doing the best they can with what they have. I mean, that's part of what makes this such a, a, an unbearable film to watch for these purposes, is no one was especially bad. No. Nah. They're all fine. They're all fine. Everything here is just has a veneer of mediocrity. Yeah, I hate it. I yeah. hate that they were fine. Mm -hmm. Why couldn't one of them be awful? <laughs> uh, so... They're interrupted by a goon that brings in Chase's informant, and he's all, like, suspicious and, you know, weird about having been there. And General Allstate points out that the guy's seen him, so he's gotta die. So he gets his throat shit. His throat slit. <laughs> <laughs> you said shit. You said shit. That would have made the film way more interesting. Well, it's 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 interesting too because uh, the next sentence. If the man from Allstate said, "Get down on the floor, I'm going to do a dump on your neck," that would be amazing. Well, and this results in Chase being discovered uh, somehow in some way that I missed because who really gives a shit? And see, that's the interesting thing is about the way I had the script written. Slit and shit are right above each other <laughs> in the text, so I think I uh, yeah, I think I jumped jumped down a bit there. I think what. I I, re I vaguely recall watching it and thinking because because the women tell him to get out once the throat gets slit, mm -hmm. the women say get out of there now, and I remember thinking, but that's what he was here to see. They haven't spotted him yet. <laughs> right, that's the evidence. They only spot him after she tells him to go and he tries to go. Yeah. It's like, up until that point, keep filming the thing you're there for. If he just stayed there and been quiet. You know, waited for them to leave. It came across. Yeah. It came across like, like Hacker Woman was like, the shady people we're here to do shady things have done something shady. This is too shady. Get the fuck out. Like, what's <laughs> the point of that? So Chase is chased and he hides in a room where it seems the smugglers have been disposing of zombie corpses. And they're not all dead yet because one of them's shambling around and Chase has to pin it down with a chair to keep it from making enough noise to reveal his position uh, to the smugglers before stabbing it through the head with the same chair. Cool. Yeah. Environmental object use. It's just like the video game. I remember the video game from video games. And if anyone's forgotten about it, we'll see some Dead Rising 3 later on in the film. That <laughs> won't be long now. Uh, back on the streets, Chase is chased some more until he ducks into an alley. And there he encounters another zombie and must kill it with a pipe he tears from the wall forcing it onto the broken end to hold it in place, and then clubbing it over the head to finish the job. He then reunites with the woman in the women in the car, who, again, I will note, their names have not been said now 12 minutes into the film. Uh, but one of them is very mad at Chase for having put himself at risk. Cut to the UBN News Network, where Chase is showing the video of the smuggler being killed to some editors, but the lawyers shut him down, claiming that the story has to be airtight, or the military will fuck them up. Now, deepfakes weren't a thing when this film was made. Hmm. How air-fucking-tight do you need this general watching a man be killed by criminals? He wasn't holding his birth certificate when he did it. <laughs> and, and a copy of today's newspaper. Uh, his editor also gives him shit for not knowing the whole story, which, okay, 
Sure. What's the what's the context of this man's throat being slit in a <laughs> shitty warehouse? Uh, and he points out that the military will just disappear, chase the way they did Jordan. Ooh, spooky. More intrigue. You see, I'd have, I'd have led with that. Yeah. I'd have led with that other than the bullshit. And even his friends, one of whom we learn is named Sandra in a scene. Not this scene, but like... <laughs> Another scene that's coming up pretty soon? She thinks he needs to get his shit together and is being too reckless. Moving to a bar, Chase blames himself for Jordan's abduction. While talking with the other woman, whose name we haven't been told yet. Comparing the situation to the Iran-Contra affair. Which I will note, did not have video evidence. To support it. Yeah, but it did have a Wikipedia page that the people writing this script had seen once. <laughs> the woman tells Chase he needs to get back out there. And get his evidence. <laughs> get his evidence! <laughs> <laughs> he's got it! He's got evidence! In the bathroom, he's approached by a weird dude who tells him he's in danger and knows about afterlife. He introduces himself as George. A former Phenotrans executive who was not suspicious at all. But we, we got his name at least. We did, however, get his name. We got George's name. His name. His name. An oper- operative word. His. His. We got his name. His name immediately. Straight away. We need to know that. Yes. And, and, and there is a reason why we got the name of the woman whose name we got. By the way, there is a, a very, once you sort of see where the story goes, the direction it, it takes, then we learn things about the characters. There's a reason why we know who Sandra is too. This other woman. Who cares? Extraneous, it's like the zombies, <laughs> extraneous to the plot. So the named Phenotrans executive, George, shows Chase that the bar is quickly filling up with cops and riot gear. And the guy leading them. Who is just looking like some guy. So some guy. Like, he doesn't even look like plainclothes cop looking guy. Mm-mm. He literally looks like they found him in a Starbucks. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, like, this is supposed to be the born bad guy character, right? Yeah. He's supposed to be the ruthless hunter who will stop at nothing. And he, uh, it, like, they set him up to be a, like, big deal like the real nemesis in all of this that they're facing. Barely in it. Yep. Barely interacts with the characters of little importance. He's there to check the box. Yeah. He's there to check the box of things in action thrillers, what we have seen. Yep. There's got to be that dude, the guy who, the guy working under the big bad, Mm -hmm. who does all the chasing, the dragon character. Who's sort of swarthy, but sort of sexy. Yeah. And and let's not give him what we could call a costume. I mean, he's he's got a costume insofar as he's wearing clothes. But and I don't know why I'm this hung up on it. But his clothes are so unassuming. He's wearing clothes that this person, this this actor, would not wear in real life, because it's just so dull. It's yeah, like he he could be a history teacher for all I know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the only thing that separates that. Uh... That jacket uh, making him a history professor is Tweed. Yeah. That's it. He looks like a background extra. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, out of everything with this film that I've mostly forgotten, 
as as you reminded me he existed he, he stuck he stuck with you yeah <laughs> I, i'd totally forgotten he was there until you just mentioned him but the moment you did you know his whole arc yeah my brain went remember how annoyed you were <laughs> that he was wearing just some guy clothes <sighs> so i'm i'm freshly irritated that the leader of these spec ops or whatever you want to call them who are in their full riot gear was just a guy. At least give him like a, a cool suit or something. Or like leathers or something. Some Doesn't have to be a uniform. Doesn't have to be a flamboyant costume. But make him look like a, like, like a guy. Something distinctive that's going to draw your eye to him if he's supposed to be an important character. Yes, yes. Yeah. Just nice clothes. <laughs> Not just some clothes. <laughs> what... He is such a just some guy. Uh huh. What a fucking prick. Yeah. So uh, Chase and George attempt to sneak out the door, leaving, by the way, the woman, his 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 partner, not trying to warn her or alert her, or she is not important. Nope. Nope. She's the she's the sister of the protagonist in Hatred. She's Ms. Not Important. Did we watch Hatred? Is that a thing? It's a video game. Oh, I okay. The protagonist's name is not important. Okay, I, mean, I, I remember the game. I just didn't think that, like, anybody had any reason to ever talk about that game because it was just so fucking pointless. I'm going to say that's why the joke bombed and not because it wasn't good. Oh, okay. Yeah, that works. That works. That just, it, it'll keep me going. <laughs> uh, so they, they get spotted trying to leave the bar. They get chased again. Up the stairs of a hotel, out to a fire escape, and then up to a roof. And as they're running, we get teased about what afterlife is. And it's described as the logical conclusion of the Watchtower Project. Oh, and can I just briefly ask you? Mm-hmm. This little chase right. that happens, um, it does lead them to a rooftop, doesn't it? It does. Of course it fucking does. Carry on. Yep, yep. Um, but... I honestly don't know what it means past the rooftop because the next sentence in my script is they eventually reach a car and escape. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how much time passes or... I'll tell you why. Because they couldn't get convincing enough helicopter B-roll for them to interact with. Yeah, that's probably it. Like, uh, but they go from rooftops to ground level car. Uh, Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. Fire escape? Yeah. That sounds, that sounds right. Sure. Sure. (laughs) Sure. Uh, in the car, more is revealed. Fina Trans is working directly with the military, supplying drugs in exchange for test subjects. Afterlife is a project related to the embedded microchips, which can be triggered to release all of the stored Zombrex at once, killing the patient. George explains that the military wants to use this to eliminate the virus altogether, killing all the hosts, which... Uh, hear me out. <laughs> that doesn't sound like it actually solves the problem, because that operates under the assumption that the military believes that they have successfully, like, contained and or chipped every possible infected vector, right? Yeah. And as 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 I'm sure, I'm sure there are a few other zombies wandering around out there. That easily start another outbreak and we're off to the races again. Yeah. It's not like we see many, though. No. No, we don't see many. But you would... This just doesn't... This seems like it's just going to kill 
a lot of people. It's a, it's a little extreme. It's a bit extreme. Um, and But they plan to do this at 7 p.m. tomorrow. <laughs> so a little less than 24 hours. George wants Chase to help him get into the quarantine zone so that he can shut off the servers and prevent the military from deploying afterlife. Chase calls Sandra and tells her to meet him with the other woman, Jill, <gasps> at some place. Cut to General Allstate. It's talking with the head of Fina Trans, a woman whose name I don't know that we're ever told. <laughs> it just occurred to me, I'm not clear on whether or not her name is ever said by anyone. We went straight from learning a name. <laughs> to introducing another woman whose name is not, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm. That's... Even less of a reason for them to have bothered with this one as well. Because she literally is the character of all you have to know is corrupt executive. Yeah. Uh, so she already knows about Chase's tape. So some he, there's some leak at the newspaper. That's not good. Uh, and she wants to shut Afterlife down. But General Allstate refuses, says, it's already underway, baby. <laughs> I wish he'd said that. I wish he'd said that. That would have been a lot better. Uh, instead, he did it like he was doing an Allstate commercial. Which is how he does everything. Yeah. I mean, that's... You know what? No no shade. If you find a thing that you're good at... Uh, He's got a type. Yep. And he plays that type. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cannot... Uh... Very serious, dour man. Yep. And, and he doesn't branch out professionally a lot, as far as I can tell. He's probably got it made. Yeah. I mean, why mess with perfection? He probably makes a decent living. Yep. Oh, I'm sure. He's not out there chasing fame and fortune. No, but he is he is a guy that you think of when you think calm confidence with just a little bit of suave. Yeah. He's your uh, Denzel Light. Yeah. Now, that's not a bad place to be. I made my mark, he thought, already. I'm good where I am. Yeah. I, I will do Dead Rising Endgame. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> I will do anything that falls into the boundaries of this. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, it doesn't shoot higher or lower. He just, he keeps on. Yep. I respect that. Mm-hmm. He's a grafter. His, his lane, firmly in it. He's a solid hand. He's the sort of person you want in rush hour traffic. Mm-hmm. Who's just gonna stick with the program along with everybody else so we can all just get to where we need to go. Dependable. Yeah. Yeah. Chase and the gang arrive at some dude's house where he's playing the latest in the fine Dead Rising franchise of video games. Man, that video game sure looked good. It did. It did. That's mm-hmm. why we got a good, like, 40-second shot of it. Dead Rising 3 is the only one I actually properly liked. Really? Yeah, because it wasn't like Dead Rising. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I really like I like the t- yeah, the time element thing. Always did it for me. I thought that was fun. I always wanted to like Dead Rising one, one and two, but there was just deeply, deeply flawed games. There was always a little bit of the Death Stranding to them, which is what I'm calling games now that waste my time with bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I think one of the things I thought Dead Rising did well is that like it did have a lot of bullshit in it. But the rewards for pulling off the bullshit were really cool and and made all of the other bullshit easier to deal with later. Um, so that's but yeah, I don't I will never argue that those are perfect games, but I really do like the first two a lot. Um, I but, but Dead Rising 3 was was very good. 
I don't know that I prefer it, but it you know, it was at least maintained a quality standard that I respected. After I haven't played Dead Rising for yet. I I don't know. I I'm wondering if it's even worth it now. Like if I should bother. I have the other ones and I like them. Yeah. So I like Dead Rising three because, and I realize like some people will be a, like, and I, how do I describe this? Basically, it was like a normal video game. Sure. Yeah. And that's not to say that I think Dead Rising 1 and 2 were bad for their time-wasting bullshit. It was all ambitious, interesting stuff. But it's also a style of gameplay that probably isn't going to appeal to you in general. In general, yeah. yeah. So Dead Rising 3, just a more standard open-world action game with just a shitload of zombies. And the, the re- retention of weapon crafting and environmental weapons. And I can completely completely understand the reaction of people who like come into dead rising seeing you know how it was marketed with oh all of the things you can do and you got all this freedom of this huge environment to explore all these things and then discovering this very sort of rigid constraint element that is so central to the game that was me the first time i played it yeah yeah you could feel really sort of bait and switched on on that front i get it i think i said this in the watchtower one as well but i i returned the first time i played dead rising i returned it Mm. Um, to the store mm-hmm. not because i hated the game in particular but because of the text oh yeah 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 this is before hdtv was so ubiquitous and i yeah. did not have one at the time um i didn't have hdtv till i moved to america and i was still in the uk um i had a widescreen but it just wasn't enough i could not read a thing yeah yeah i, I mean i and it was it was for me um uh I don't know if it was... No, it wasn't the game that finally made me break and buy an Xbox 360 and join that console generation. But it absolutely was, when I bought the 360, the game I bought in addition to the other games that I was... Like Bioshock. I, you know, I, I was like, all right, this yeah. is the line. I've, I've got I've to play Bioshock now. Uh, so I got a 360 for Bioshock, but I sure as fuck made sure I also bought a copy of Dead Rising uh, because the the general concept, and I really didn't know that much about the the time element at that point either. Um, I don't know that I was even that I was that particularly engaged in video games. There was a, a bit of a lull period that I was in uh, between those generations. Uh, but that's so it's so my thing. Like it's so much my thing to have a quirky mechanic that's thrown in. That has to make you rethink how you'll approach games. Yeah. Uh, that that I I fell in love with it. It's it's one of those ones I always wanted to like, but right. the way it happened just. But yeah, and and it doesn't it doesn't always work. Like there are games that try similar things and have failed abysmally at it. So it's it's a tricky line to walk, and I think it more or less does it well if you could if you're into that kind of thing. Um, it has so many other problems too that, uh, yeah, it's, they're flawed games. I like the first two a lot. Uh, wouldn't begrudge anybody. Uh, not feeling the same way there though. That's, that makes total sense to me. So, um, they're at this dude's house. Uh, we learn that Sandra has a chip and is therefore infected. So that's, you know, that's important information. It's important to know that Sandra's infected. It totally comes up lots of times (laughs) in this narrative. Uh, I actually think it's there more to indicate how good of a hacker she is. <laughs> I really do. Probably. It's part of that character development. Um, but she's modified it so she cannot be tracked by the government. Uh, 
the dude uh, agrees to help Chase despite being suspicious of Phenotrans executive George, and he provides them with some guns. He has a lot of guns in his place. They wanted this guy to be the wild card yep. comic relief. Yeah, he answers the door in a robe and... Yeah. Yeah. The issue is, is he just looks like that? Yep. And isn't funny or does anything particularly wild. It's just that, again, very much like the fact that they had a rooftop chase that was just running up the stairs for a minute and then they're in a car. It's going down the list of stuff that are in these types of films and just giving us the idea of them. Of these archetypes, he might be written better than the rest of them. Like, because of the way he reacts to events that happen to him over the course of the story. Uh, like, I, there's at least a little bit of pathos to him in there. Uh, he's not just the goofy comic relief. He's not goofy enough or com- comic enough. Right. Yes. Uh, he, he does not... Meet the standard. Nothing in this film is enough of what it is trying to be. For sure. So they go over George's plan, which is to get past the quarantine wall, to the military base located in a hospital, then up to the fourth floor where they have to shut down the servers by giving it a virus, and he conveniently provides a thumb drive with the entire system architecture for Sandra the hacker. Uh, So, again, that's a bullet point list of actions between which... There will be a lot of travel time. They don't mention the travel time, but rest assured, that's where we're going to spend most of our time. Yeah. Uh, Chase, oh, sorry, General, uh, getting ahead of myself, General Allstate meets with Phenotrans again and informs them that George is Chase's source. She tries again to convince Allstate to to cancel the deployment of Afterlife, knowing that George could expose all of this, but Allstate seems willing to stay the course. Cut back to Chase and the group. Chase leaves Jill behind uh, at Dude's apartment. Oh, his name's Garth, by the way. We got his name within two scenes. Cool. Boom. Yep. Uh, So George, Sandra, Garth, and Chase head out for the quarantine zone. And as the group moves underground to clear the wall, we get Sandra's backstory. And I'm going to have to believe myself when I say it's not very interesting because it's not very interesting is the only thing I wrote here. (laughs) Yeah, I can't remember jack fucking shit about it, which I don't think anyone's surprised by. I do think it takes several minutes. This is a lengthy walking sequence. Jill is doing some research on her computer back at uh, Garth's place when she hears military people coming and hides in the balcony while she listens to Captain Bourne. You know, the whoever the fuck this guy is supposed to be. He's still not named. I don't think ever is named. Which is which is something of a of a broken. It, it, it's in keeping with the trend in a subversive way. Yeah, yeah, he's with the its unnamed characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but he calls General Allstate, and then calls in an order to some other people, claiming that Jill and the rest of Chase's friends are all infected and need to be dealt with. Cool. So Chase and crew are moving through tunnels. They have to go a different route because the one that they're on is compromised by some zombies. And then we get to go back to Jill. And, uh, you know, just just count your blessings that the amount of time I covered them talking in the tunnels was two sentences. Yeah, I mean, that's... One benefit we have here is we that there are long stretches of nothing happening, that even though it's awful for us to watch, we can get through pretty quick on a podcast. Yeah, yeah, it just, it just sort, of, sort of skated by, uh, and it largely, it's mostly there to give excuses for time passing to get back to other characters and set up their intrigue. 
Like, all of this time that we spend with our quote-unquote protagonists really just seems like buffer for them to have all of their secondary characters be able to talk to each other and have it feel like events were broken up. And it's not done to, like, pad out the length of the film, I don't think. Because no. you get some of these really bad films where it's, like, 15... And I've, se- I've, I've watched films like this. 15 minutes of establishing shots. Yeah. I mean, it's it's an hour and 14 minutes. They easily... A, a worse director-production team would easily have stretched this out yeah. to 90 minutes. It's like they're, they're using the time they have. It's not just, like, empty time. Like these establishing shots, it's boring time. But it's it's boring. It's it's they're using the time. They're just not using it well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Jill meets with her editor from the newspaper and asks him for his personal support while she attempts to distract the military away from Chase so he could do his thing in the quarantine zone. None of this makes any sense under the circumstances. Like I, I think the military has enough resources. To deal with both of you. Yeah. Uh, You're just drawing attention to you and giving the military another way to fuck you up. It's just to have scenes with more stereotypes. Right, and more intrigue. Yeah. Yeah. This film has so much intrigue for something that is not once intriguing. (laughs) In the tunnels, Garth gets caught in a snare trap, which, you know what? Did not did not see it coming. Yeah, you don't often expect to see a snare trap in a sewer-like tunnel system. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll... Hanging from whatever. I'll, I will give the, the screenwriters credit for that. Well, surprised me. Okay. <laughs> something fresh. Something new. This is their contribution to cinema. A snare in the sewers. <laughs> before, before Dead Rising Endgame, no one had sewer snares. <laughs> Uh, so the smugglers take them captive while they try to figure out who they are Garth gets left behind to be interrogated by an unnamed woman with a baseball bat who looks a lot to me like uh, either uh, the the Halton Catch Fire woman Cam uh, I can't remember her last name or or, or whoever or the woman who played Starbuck in uh in in Battlestar Galactica. In Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I've forgotten her name as well. Yeah. Got me worse than the Dead Rising oh, yeah. script writers right now. Well, we didn't create them. That's true. <laughs> They're not our responsibility. Can't take credit for them. But <laughs> Katie Sackoff is Katie the Starbuck one. There we go. Yeah. Can't yeah. take can't take credit for making her. Right. But she's got that kind of vibe to yeah, her. Yeah. It's not uh, her though. No. Not not her. Uh, both of those women have. More class. Better things to do. Imagine if you got Katie Sackhoff in. To do this. Just just to play a scene where you beat some dude with a baseball bat. Like, Billy Zane, I understand. Yeah, I mean... I get that. Billy Zane's Billy Zane. Yep. He's an entity all unto himself. He belongs on the periodic table of elements. Zanium. <laughs> That's how dependable Billy Zane is. Yep. Uh, but we'll get to him. <laughs> uh, Garth is left behind to be interrogated by this uh, Katie Sackhoff impersonator, and the rest are taken to a meth lab. And uh, Chase claims that they work for General Allstate and uses his knowledge of their prior meeting to bluff this. The drug smuggler, eh, he's just going to grope Sandra and start dragging her off, probably for exactly what you think. Yeah. Cool. Glad we got that into this movie. Because 
yeah, because because it's on their list of things to cross off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is the the implied rape scene the implied sexual assault of a woman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the sexual assault is not implied. The sexual assault is on screen. Oh, yeah. Uh, the the degree to which she will be the the line at which we accept bad characters will perform sexual assault on women could be crossed here. That's the inference. Yep. Cool. Uh, but George interrupts, turns the table. Uh, turns the tables over a table covered with chemicals, starting fire and giving the others a chance to fight back. Outside, meanwhile, Garth, on his own, manages to kill his interrogator with her own baseball bat while still hanging upside down, coming back just in time to save the rest of the team. Probably tie the hands up before you go to town on someone with a baseball bat. Yeah, you'd think. You'd think. Um, Sandra gets her revenge on the smuggler by stabbing him in the groin, so we ticked that box too. Cool. By the way, just for the listeners, zombies are coming up. Oh, and then everyone had to run out of the lab because, uh, 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 Jim, yeah, you may not remember this, uh, and it's not a thing that happens too often in these sorts of films, but they, act- they had to run out of that room before there was an explosion. In the meth lab? In the meth lab that threw fire into the sewer tunnel. What? Just, yeah. Right? Galaxy yep. brain shit here. Uh, tick a box. Having lost all of their equipment and attracted the undead, they do some running. And weirdly... Zombies! Yeah, there's zombies! Zombies in the zombie film? Right, but but then the zombies all stop to stare at the burning meth lab. Oh, yeah. Not a problem now. Forget them. And that is strange zombie behavior. I will give them that. And they observe this. Zombies are usually impartial to meth. Right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and and more interested in just running after people. So there's some discernment of priorities going on with these zombies. Hmm. But then one of them sees sees Chase and everybody and breaks out into a sprint and just tackles Garth and bites him before Chase can stomp his head in. And as another of these fast zombies starts coming, Chase observes a number tattoo on the dead one's neck before running out to grab a sort of, I don't know, pickaxe thing? I think it was a pickaxe, yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and I think it was held by a, another corpse that is revealed to be a living zombie that gets up. Uh, zombie fighting starts. Uh, so real zombies here. Uh, and, and Garth is, is breaking them through a door while everybody's fending off the zombies. And he, he, uh, he takes the zombie bite thing pretty well. He's like, you know, kind of, yeah, always saw this coming. Uh, so I can appreciate that they commit to the comic relief character, and he doesn't go the direction of now becoming the sad sack. But it's more that it's more that the Zombrex existence has kind of changed the dynamic. Yeah, that's true. Of where it's it's not immediately life threatening. It's like, well, shit. Yeah, and, and there is conveniently available Zombrex for him to be injected with. So cool, you know. I mean, you'd say, you, boy, the EpiPen like distribution of Zombrex in this place, like, boy, Phenotrans did make a lot of money off this shit. It's everywhere. Yeah, although I bet Zombrex would still be cheaper than a fucking EpiPen. Oh yeah, yeah, and insulin, no doubt. Yeah. Reflecting on the fast zombies, Chase points out that the tattoo suggests that this isn't some kind of natural evolution. And everybody turns to look to George for an explanation. And he claims he knew nothing about it. It starts breaking down emotionally over the situation. After a bit of infighting that, again, I, I cannot bother to 
go into more detail on. It's just, it's just there. Chase calms the group down and reminds them they can all survive this. And then they make weapons out of a bunch of tools and craps and crap that's like in the room that they're in, like in that game based on the movie. Yeah. Tick. This is as close as it gets to anything outside of the na- the names of a few things. Yeah, yeah. This is the closest it gets to resembling anything like Dead Rising. Cut to Jill, confronting the CEO of Fina Trans on the street, claiming her network's going to be running a story on Afterlife. And the CEO of Fina Trans is bad at this shit. <laughs> Instantly getting defensive. Naming George. So, like, there we go, drawing the connection, and, oh, and then saying that he's on medical leave. Uh, Jill suggests that it's possible that there's a version of this story that airs that lays all the blame on the military instead of on your corporation. Cut to Chase's gang, emerging from the quarantine zone with their makeshift weapons and a pointless discussion about Sandra doubting her ability to hack the afterlife servers. This is, this is just here again to pad a transition back to the Fina Trans CEO, who, again, what is her fucking name? Her name is C-E-O. <laughs> she is talking with another executive we've seen before. The other guy who was there when we found out that they knew that George knew the, you know, was, was the source thing. And she, they're talking about all the ways General Allstate can fuck her over in this situation, which is, of course, basically communicating to the audience and this other executive how tenuous this situation is and how easily she can be fucked over. Yep. And then she points out that Phenotran's entire existence is predicated on the world's need for them to provide a solution to the zombie virus that they engineered. And she orders the executive to release a new strain of the virus tomorrow or tonight or whenever it is once afterlife has been executed so that they can maintain this continuity and the executive is all you know this sounds a little extreme don't you think yeah this sucks a bit doesn't refuse to do it so garth and george meanwhile are having a conversation about george's level of complicity in the zombie outbreak and what his motivations are and whether doing this is supposed to make up for what he was involved in. And in a better movie with characters who names you know, it might have been meaningful. Yep. But here, it's interrupted by Chase seeing some military people and the group having to hide in a parking garage where a pretty fucked up Garth nearly exposes them by firing his nail gun. Once the soldiers leave, Chase lights up a flare in this well-lit parking garage. And this attracts a whole bunch of zombies for them to kill with their newly made weapons. I cannot stress how well lit this environment was <laughs> before they had to introduce a flare so that they could have really cool red lighting for this zombie fight sequence. Lighting throughout this film is an issue. It really is. Everything is too bright. And that's, it's weird, because that's not normally a complaint I have with these sorts of movies. I, I'm very... It's TV show lighting for a lot of it. Yeah, I usually go far the other direction, say, I can't see shit here, what are you doing? Um, but, but here, yeah. It's, it's like flat lighting for which there's no mood. And that's another reason why this film is so boring, is there's no atmosphere to it. Mm-hmm. It's all flat lighting and... Again, they're all playing at intrigue, but it's not shot in an interesting way. 
cameras just point at what needs to be pointed at. It's just, yeah, the whole thing is just this flat dud tone. It would have been good if at this point one of the actors farted in another actor's mouth. <laughs> well, we get something close. That would have been something cool. We, we get something close. Garth gets tackled in this fight sequence. Uh, but the zombie that's tackled him suddenly decides not to tackle further after smelling him. And credit, like some small, I don't know, maybe it's a, a, a thing of convenience. Maybe it's an actual, like, acknowledgement of the Dead Rising lore that the zombie sniffs out that he is also a zombie. Because it's all the pheromone stuff that, you know, spreads and controls the, the zombie stuff. Uh, nah. Z Nation did it all better. Z Nation did probably everything that this film did. Z Nation does everything better than, than any other form of entertainment's ever done. Z Nation is the pinnacle of human media. Congratulations, humanity. I think it would have been good if if the zombie had farted in his mouth. Yeah, I think yeah, that would have yeah, been, been better. That would have been better. Uh, Sandra kills a zombie, attacking her by sticking a flare in its mouth. Check. She should have stuck her ass in her mouth and farted. Listeners, I've, I've, my mind's hooked on an idea. You, you found, you found the key to all of this. These are the things I think about when I'm bored. This is how I amuse myself. With farts. Is the idea of someone farting in someone's mouth, and I think that's funny. In fairness, uh, I think universally, it, 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 we can agree, farts can be funny oh. in a context. Beefy whoopies, absolutely. Yeah. Blow them beefers. Yeah. I mean, certainly, are there inappropriate contexts, contexts in which to let one rip? Sure. Right? I get it. Places you don't want to do it? No, yeah, I mean, if someone's had to watch their ostrich die, you don't want to fart on the ostrich. Right. Yeah, yeah. If you're in a movie theater, you know, maybe have a little bit of respect, turn off your cell phone, tighten up the anus. Yeah. And if you have to fart, don't stand on the seat and say, how's this for a Thanos snap, and then let rip. Right. If you're, if you're, you know, just like you wouldn't put your feet up on the back of the seat in front of you if there was someone sitting right there. You wouldn't stand up in the middle of the movie, drop your pants, and fart directly in the face of a person sitting right behind you. Ah, it's just courtesy. It would be rude. No need for it. So, yeah, uh, the, there's a, a... This is how bored this film makes us, by the way. Yeah, it's really pretty, pretty dull. Eventually, uh, Chase gets backed into a car and separated from the group and left to discover that Garth is now a zombie while the others make their way to a stairwell. Chase breaks free, dispatches Garth, runs to a different stairwell, unable to reach Sandra on his earbud, probably because those sorts of signals never work in any stairwells. Check. He heads up into a building, and a lot of wandering follows, broken up by a couple of zombies being killed and Chase being chased by, by more zombies. This is the most zombie-heavy sequence of the film so if you wanted your zombies it's in this 15 minutes there's a an escalator fight that actually manages to do something with the space uh yeah the escalator fight wasn't like it's the only bit of the film where the action had like felt like it had some action and and it's i and and it's interesting too because normally if the seed were done in another film a better film the escalators would be functioning and there'd be a little more dynamic movement in it but I actually think it's better that it doesn't, right? Like, it, is, it makes sense, better sense tonally that the escalators would all be... They'd have fucked it up. Yeah, you know, and yes. They'd have fucked it up. It, it's one thing too far. This might be the best action scene in the film. It absolutely is. Uh, just 
when it looks like Chase is screwed, there are some gunshots and the zombies around him start dying. And oh my God, it's it's Jordan, the only character, the only female character in this film who was named from the moment we saw her. <gasps> however, <laughs> <laughs> however, the... There is a bit of a trope at play. Just a little one. So, yeah, just, just a small... There's a small twist in that she then gets to satisfy the trope of the abused PTSD survivor who doesn't speak. So instead of getting the woman we have no, with no name, we get the woman who doesn't speak. But we know her name. One or the other. We know her name and we know it. We know it because the film told us at the beginning, and we know it because she wouldn't be able to tell us when she appeared in the film, and the filmmakers <laughs> knew it. <sighs> That's what we call writing. Yep. Jill meets with her old editor again, or meets with her editor again, and he's brought the other Phenotrans executive with her. So now we've come full circle. We now have identified the person who leaked the video to Phenotrans, and we know the corridor of information is going back between these two parties. It's the editor. The slimy fucking editor. That fucking... Ooh. Yet the film completely glosses over the failings, the ethical failings of this editor, who is really the bad guy in all of this. And I'm not just saying that because I feel like journalists should be held to a higher fucking standard than this pig fucker working with a corporation. Yeah. But hey, you got to get access somehow, right? You know? Well, you know. One hand washes the other, Conrad. Yes, of course. It's, it's, you, hack, you can't have corporate media without corporate. You know? <laughs> yep. The relationship's there. You got something in common. The same sort of goals, one might say. Which is money. Yep. Uh, I, I, keep, I keep talking about things that are more interesting and losing my place in my script. I think that's how they wrote their scripts as well. <laughs> Uh, so the, the, this, the other Phenotrans executive tells Jill about the Arby's plan to use the Zobbex chips as weapons, which she already knew about, so what the fuck, but also a deal that the company set up with the Army that sort of, it, it more explicitly lays out the relationship between the Army and Phenotrans, where the Army was supplying Phenotrans with test su subjects for a mysterious doctor! who's been doing unsupervised research for two years, looking for a cure? And then he provides her with a thumb drive that implicates the Phenotrans CEO of this research, which shows people being tortured on camera, saying she needs to be stopped. I don't know why this video evidence is more compelling than the other video evidence they had before. It seems like just more video evidence of similar crimes. But what the fuck do I know? Chase fills Jordan in on how he was unable to use what she provided to expose the military's involvement in the last movie, while she, traumatized, says nothing. Yep. Another dude shows up with Sandra and George. It saves some ink on the typewriter if they don't have to write dialogue for her. Well, no, but, but, but instead, we bring in a man <laughs> to fill in... <laughs> I have 
happened, you know, and this is, I didn't realize that, that this was going to affect my, and, and, and a lot of this, uh, I, I should explain a lot of this, uh, elucidation on how these are all specifically women and things. These are things that I've realized now at the very beginning of the, you know, going over the script in my head and I'm now completely observing how frequently and bad it is going through. Well, I think... I think you're on some SJW bullshit. Well, like a liberal arts student that you expect women to have names and voices. In the time... Both sometimes you want. In the time between uh, writing this script and uh, and doing this recording, we had a full weekend where I had run out of current podcasts to listen to and instead listened to about six hours of the Bechdel cast, which is a podcast where women... Try to see use the Bechdel cast, which is a, if a film they define it as a film having a conversation between two named female characters, which does not discuss a man in it, as a springboard to larger discussions about female representation in film. That's what the show is. Uh, it has Jamie Loftus, and um, I feel bad because I'm now not remembering the other woman who hosts it, but it's very, very good. And if you... Yeah, no men in it, though, sexist. Yeah, you know, it's it's a very, very good movie. You should listen to it. Uh, but now, now it's, uh, I'm seeing it everywhere because I've actually been paying even more attention to it. I think you do. Like, once you... To be, to be more serious, like, when you do get to thinking about that, yeah. One is astonished to find it everywhere. It is literally in every movie, just about. And I know it's been said said that, you know, the Bechtel test on its own is not an indicator of a film's worth or a film's representational value. It is not a wokeness metric for, no. for media. It is a starting point that you can clearly identify it to people. And it is, it's, it's... It's nonetheless a very interesting thing to think about. Yeah. And, and as you say, a very worthy springboard. Right. And, and, and you, well, and it, it's, it's the Mandela effect, right? To some degree. Like, we've gone through life just sort of seeing all of this all the time and not really realizing that this is the way it is, you know? But the fucking second someone shows you how Berenstain is spelled and you're like, oh shit, it's always yeah. been this way. Uh, and now you can't unsee it. Um, so yeah, listen to the Bechdel cast, uh, even though it is a podcast that is, uh, primarily supported by, uh, corporate media and so forth. Um, great people doing it. You'd be better off listening to that instead of this one, if I'm perfectly honest. That's, that's, if we're, if we're, if we're fair. Yeah, to be fair. Uh, to be fair. So... This other guy that shows up with, with Sandra and George, uh, he reveals that Ch uh, to, uh, uh, he finds out, or he shows up, Chase reveals that Garth became a zombie. This dude's just here, and everybody's fine with him. There's no suspicion. This is not a fucking zombie movie. Yeah. Um, but he, he, Chase, realizing that Garth's become a zombie, makes the logical leap that this is not the same virus as before, meaning it's not treatable with Zombrex. Meaning, oh shit, the stakes are real again. Um, he introduces Sandra and Jordan to other dude, uh, who other dude doesn't give us his name, but to this is one of those circumstances where that character acknowledges he's going to be dead soon. It doesn't matter because he's already been bit. Uh, that's going to be the end of that. So there's a reason why he doesn't deserve a name, and it's not that he's a woman. Yeah, this time. So he, but but he can serve a useful plot function in that he can help hold the zombies back um, while they leave. 
Uh, but of course, this puts all of the the pressure on Jordan, who again, traumatized woman trope. She finally overcomes it when when she realizes that she's the only one there to do it. Yep. And, and the afterlife plan uh, is going to cause millions of casualties. So she pulls it together and volunteers to guide them. And with a little over an hour to go, they arrive at the hospital, entering through uh, tunnels. And uh, Jordan tells them that Rand keeps his failed experiments at a basement level, which is, the, you know, of course, the area that they're going to have to pass through to get there. So the film can show us the zombies that are later going to be released. Check. Uh, then they pass some dead soldiers, and Jordan implies that she killed them on her way out. So, you know... This experience has changed her, the woman. banana. Reaching the server floor, they subdue the guards, and Sandra gets to work uploading the malware. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. is another bit I remember from the film when I watched it. Is thinking about how this is all part of the big climax. We're all building to a head. This is the climax. Yeah. And this... the, the climax involves at least half of it. Just a woman sat at a computer. I'm like, this is thrilling. It's the battle of the progress bars. Yep. That's really is it. Like, it's a progress bar, which we look at and are supposed to just recognize it as hacking. But it's, it's, but it's not like other films, better films, many more films. They do this, and they give you one progress bar. Yep. And they have things like, you know, they, they'll sex it up a bit, you know, like like quick cut shots to the hands on the keyboard, like tapping with this like big music playing. And like then on the eyes as she looks, and she's like, I'm in the, the mainframe system. Right. It's, she's just fucking sat at the, at the computer. Well, this, this is the, the point at which uh, Dead Rising Endgame looked at the landscape. And said to themselves, you know what? You know what's never been done before? You know how it's never been done? You know how we can take it up to 11? Two progress bars. Crank that shit up! One that shows the amount of, you know, the, the progress bar to the end of the world. One that shows the progress bar to end, ending the end of the world. And we're just going to keep shrinking them back and forth. Yeah. Slowing them down, speeding them up. Now they're going to love it. They're going to be so riveted by this that we're going to have to return to this five, six times. Easy. Yep. That's your big climax, just constant cuts back to at least, you know, one one half of the big climax. Well, it, but it exists, it, it like the other sequences where they were cutting to them in the tunnels. It's just flipped the script now. Now the emphasis is supposed to be on the guys, the people in the tunnels having, you know, our heroes having the big heroic moment and the hacking stuff in the background as opposed to before when the tunnel stuff was used to break up the bits that set up all the intrigue that the story cared about in the first half of the film. Uh, it's Nothing's changing, it's just turned around. Do you remember that big end, that like, the big culminating moments in Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King? Nope, didn't watch where, it. Where, well, it's a big, big thing. You've got Frodo and Sam and, and Gollum at Mount Doom, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they've got the ring... And they're, they're tussling over, you know, taking control of the ring and getting it destroyed. And then you've got um, the, the, that Gandalf and, and Aragorn and, and everyone in a big battle against Sauron's forces. Mm -hmm. And then you see Bilbo sat at a computer with two <laughs> fucking progress bars going. <laughs> and it just cut between all three. And I could be 
barely keep my head on straight as I followed all three exciting strands. The <laughs> 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 one bar just labeled Sauron's army. Yep. The other one like, ring. <laughs> ring. <laughs> Ring and not ring. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So they get into the, they're in the tunnels. The, they're in the server floor. They take things over. And then Jordan, you know, there's a there's this classic hack-off going on between the military off-site. Uh, you know, who's... And he's not talking about the script writers. Uh-huh. Uh, and the general all-state's there. And so they're both staring at the monitors very, you know, seriously. And... Uh, Jordan, you know, well, oh, you know, sensitive, unreliable woman, uh, decides to wander off into the labs to hunt down, uh, you know, and get revenge on, on, uh, uh, they who traumatized her. So, I spit on your grave, check. Well, if you're shopping for shoes, there's no harm in popping to the, <laughs> to the jacket store next door. Right, right, Sure. Uh, Chase, of course, decides he has to go after her, leaving Sandra with George and the captured soldiers. So Jordan gets to Rand's lab and stabs who she thinks is him in the back, but it turns out it's just another doctor who looks exactly the same as him behind her, from behind. And the real Rand, sweet, sweet summer boy, Billy Zane. Oh, summer boy, Billy Zane, child of the wind. Just, and he does, he breezes in like the yeah, wind yeah. with his taser. <laughs> and, and the, or, or, well, it's a stun gun, uh, I, I should say, not a taser. Because a taser, A, is a brand name, and B, has those little prongs that fire out. Uh, zaps, zaps are good while he is, he has a, a cigarette holder in his mouth with no cigarette in it. <laughs> That's who we have here. This is Billy Zane. I like to think Billy Zane insisted on that. Oh, yeah. No. I want a cigarette holder and I want no cigarette in it. This is Billy Zane doing his Dr. Strangelove moment, I think. This is his mad scientist. And his mad scientist is cool, calculated, understated, very matter of fact. It's the lowest energy Billy Zane I've seen. Oh, gosh, yeah. It is. Yes. it's. I was a little disappointed and surprised even. I'm like... You go to all this effort to get Billy Zane, and and this is like the lowest Billy Zane. But it's it is definitely a committed like committed performance. Like he does that understatement. There is a a sense of coldness, and he's a character who clearly cares more about saving the world than than being the guy who saved the world. And it's so practical and played so straight. And I love you, Billy Zane. And I think it's wonderful that you continue to do this shit. Oh, Billy Zane, I love you. Let's live on a boat together. We'll eat fish. (laughs) Uh, But he does kind of have a, he's got a sleaze, sleazy thing. Uh, Well, he's Billy Zane. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um... George and Sandra threatened the on-site technician in the server room to get him to help them hack the system. And then, as if they're fucking with me, Sandra outright directly asks this totally not important secondary character who will be in this movie for the remaining ten minutes 
tops because there's 15 minutes left in this movie and five of those some bitches gonna be credits she asks him his name <laughs> like <laughs> The very first scene containing dialogue involving this character is asked. Is okay. So this is, and here is where now I get to do the little bit of analysis that allows me to explain why the screenwriters can just be ignorant and bad and not willfully malicious in all of this. Because the structure of the narrative is clearly such that all of the characters that are, for the most part, the characters that are in scenes with these other characters uh, are, are know each other, are on a first-name basis with each other, and don't feel the need to say those characters' names prior to the introduction of some other new character who does not already know them. There is a, from a writer's point of view, who is strictly interested in getting the story out, a line of logic that explains why it is not important to have these characters' names involved until they are relevant. It is bad, it is shitty, it is dumb, and I don't care that it's not willfully malicious. No, I mean, I, I, I never imagined genuine malice here, right. it's just... But it's so, so clear an example yeah. of utterly... Uh, uh, of how the structure of writing and the perspective of I'm going to assume white guys writing. I'm just going to, I, you know, and that's, that's... Oh, I think you're opening yourself up to look mighty foolish there. Yeah, you know, and it's a risk that I'm willing to take <laughs> under the circumstances. Uh, but I, I think that this is, it's very clearly a case of just white guys writing. And, and, yeah, okay, this makes sense, sure. And just going until... This is what we have. And, and we reach a, a point of inflection where there's this irony uh, that's so clearly visible uh, if you've been paying attention to this repetitive thread that's been charted throughout the entire film. Uh, so there you go. There's your lesson, your moral of this, of this story. Where was I? Oh, yeah. So they get him to, to hack the system. With Sandra able to, to circumvent the... Oh, I didn't by the way, bother to keep his name in here. It's fine. I think I think I just call him the tech going forward. I don't think our listeners are on the edge of their seats. Like, they, well, what's he called? Yeah, but they did ask him his name. Um, uh, you know what? So That's justice. Yeah. 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 Although it's not because he's also a character of color. Well, then. So now I'm the asshole. Now, yeah. <laughs> Uh, or, 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 oh, maybe, yep. maybe the film didn't say his name. Like, they just ask his name, and then they cut. That could be. Let's go with that. That make that would make sense. It's not like anyone's yeah, gonna nobody's check. Gonna no check. one, no one cares. <laughs> uh, so, Rand injects Jordan with something. You just wait, someone... You go on the SoundCloud version of this. There'll be a timestamp around here. Yep. I checked his name. Is no one, no one but you cares, sunshine. The the hack off continues with the military now having gained the upper hand again, and uh, and then Chase reaches Rand's lab and holds Rand at gunpoint, and this is Zane's big big scene. 
this is really it. Like, yeah, it's brilliant. You know, he, he got a little chance to play with the space for a couple minutes earlier, you know, <laughs> just sort of just sort of work in there by himself. But now this is we really are putting Zane up on a pedestal. I bet he in real life, he didn't give a fuck. <laughs> I'm sure that is. I, 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 but I'm to sure us, there's a very good likelihood. But, but but to us, he approached this with the same level of commitment and serious that he did Titanic. Like, yes, yes. Every ro- there, there is no small role and no small film to Billy Zane. Yeah, when he came in to work on Twin Peaks after David Lynch left the show and Twin Peaks was effectively ruined to be the guy who is the love interest for the character that the audience is pissed as fuck isn't going to be with the protagonist. And you make that you make that commitment, you go in and you do it, you zane it like that. I mean, you're there for anything. When Zane zanes, he zanes hard. Oh, yeah, yeah. Big zane energy. Yep, the zane event. <laughs> but, so yeah, so Rand is totally unconcerned with the fact that he's being held at gunpoint. Jordan can't be removed from the IV that she's connected to without dying in minutes, and Rand has concluded that she's the last chance that he has to actually find a cure for the virus, so, I mean, this is pretty much it. Points out that Fiona Trans doesn't actually want one, and demonstrates that he's one of those old-school scientists who's pretty comfortable with the idea that people have to die for progress to happen. This is all very, this is all delivered very matter-of-factly, just casually. This is a Nazi doctor level of casual evil, but without the attempt to make it villainous, it's, without the villainous association that you automatically get by putting a swastika on armband on the character. That's that's what it is. Like this is the these are the same people uh, narratively that are doing experiments on on people during the Holocaust. We just don't get the visual that they're the bad guy. Same character. That's it. Um, it's not played up to be Nazi. Same character. Uh, because those were the same people. They they didn't in a lot of cases they didn't give a shit about the Nazi ideology, but they paid for their research and they really wanted to like drill holes in people. Yeah. So there you go. Uh. Chase attempts to offer to tell Rand's story, while Rand seems to have a, a pretty solid point of view about how that's kind of irrelevant if the human race is wiped out by a virus. Like, he's a guy who has his priorities clear. Um, Chase counters this by pointing out that the military will destroy the base and Rand's research will be lost unless Rand helps get them out, or unless they get out of here, and he's not going anywhere without her. Uh, and he'll get the research out for them, and it'll all be good, and he can save the world. And at that point... She starts convulsing, and and Rand reveals that what he's actually doing here is trying to kill her, because if she survives, then humanity might be able to survive, and then says that the cool thing about this virus is that its victims can't die, and that's cryptic and weird. Thank you, Billy Zane, for being the cryptic weird thing that's keeping me interested in this movie. But unfortunately, we have to go back to the other people. The bottle of the progress bars rages on, uh, and it's still on it. we realize it's it's still on this shit. This this is important because we gotta get back to realize that George isn't there anymore. Now you see it's it's more about showing the absence. Uh, and then we get the explanation to the weird victim can't die thing. See, the cure that Rand has developed is basically an immune, an immortality serum that makes the virus coexist with human RNA, resulting in cells. You go to town, you go in a Lincoln. Yeah, right. That's 
Because that's what Billy Zane would do if he was a real scientist. Yes. He wouldn't just cure a zombie virus. He'd go the whole hog. He'd be like, I'm not just going to cure the zombies. I'm going to cure everything. I'm going to cure if death. <laughs> cure death. If Billy Zane were a real scientist, we would all live forever right now. And, and you know, while, while I could see how some people might feel as though like, it has been a great loss to humanity that perhaps Billy Zane made the wrong choices in life that led him to these, to, to being a B actor in thousands upon thousands of tiny B roles. Well, I'm sure, you know, doing a bunch of Broadway stuff that's actually really respectable and good for you, Billy. I disagree. I disagree. I'd rather have B movie actor Billy Zane than actual immortality. This is worth the sacrifice. Also, because I think the idea of living forever is horrifying and just horrifying. And it's, it's not even just like, on the one hand, being the lone immortal person, that's bad enough, right? Because it means that like every relationship you ever have is destined to end and you're going to have to carry that weight with you forever. You know, that's the sort of traditional vampire narrative that you hear. Yeah. But this is actually worse if everybody's immortal, because then you're stuck with everybody forever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I would hate to be immortal. You wouldn't want to be born in the Highlands of Scotland over 400 years ago? No, no. <laughs> I, I've been a little bit distracted because I was trying to find that Crypt Keeper movie that he was in. Oh, uh, it's uh, Demon Knight. Demon Knight! Yeah. For some reason, I was going to say Blood Knight, and I knew that was wrong. Yeah, that's a great movie. And that was earlier when I was going to say, I was going to say I'd rather him be in uh, Demon Knight than any of us curing death that is a way better movie than anything uh, with the title tales from the crypt attached to it deserves to be oh yeah that is a great movie i really like that one it's very enjoyable we should do that instead yes, of this. <laughs> yes that would have been a, lot, a much better choice that we would have made but anyway I was, I was gonna use it to reference something witty but i took too long trying to find it so it, the moment's long past, right. but it's worth remembering that Demon Knight exists yes. as a film. Yes. It had a good soundtrack, too. Everything about it was on point. Yeah, really uh, tapped into the zeitgeist of the moment. One of Billy Zane's finest roles as well. And yet, a, if I'm not remembering correctly, a total disaster, like, critically. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> and at the box office. Yeah. Um, so Jordan starts has, is, is, is dying there. Uh and the, to test the effectiveness, he's trying to kill her in every way he can so that, you know, if she lives through whatever he could throw at her, then, hey, the cure works. I mean, it does. Let, there is a logic to it. It does make some kind of sense. It's bad sense, but it makes it. Uh, Chase calls him crazy, which ran just it's lovely, understated Zane. Uh, just a very like casual, like, yeah, nod. Just like, yeah, like he knows. He knows he's fucking nuts. Great. Just then, George enters the room, shoots Rand in the back. Goodbye, Billy Zane. You, you, you he, your character lived like he, or died like he lived. <laughs> Very casually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then George picks up the virus sample, revealing that this was really all just about the money for him. Check. He attempts to shoot Chase before fleeing uh, to escape. Sandra helps Chase identify the antidote so that he can treat, uh, treat Jordan. So she's doing some extra hacking on the side, moonlighting uh, during the, the progress bar war, uh, and then demands a toolbox from the soldier for reasons unknown. Uh, meanwhile, George 
as you would expect uh, in every zombie movie that has ever used this trope before where the, the bad guy reveals himself to be a bad guy traitor and then releases all of the zombies to uh, kill the rest of the characters. Uh, George does that. Surprise. And then Todd insists that they... Oh, that's right. I did put his name down. The The guy... The tech. His name's Todd. Well, there we go. There you go. So, sorry, Todd. Your sin's absolved. Yeah, I feel better. I forgive you. Uh, thank you, other white male. Yep. <laughs> That's all you need. You've got, you've got the approval of another white guy, so everything's fine. Everything's fine. Uh... So Todd insists they leave while Sandra digs the Zombrex chip out of her neck, uh, giving him the opportunity to take her gun, but he's actually not a bad dude. And he seems way more concerned with saving her than one might expect under the circumstances. And defends the server room with his life to complete while she tries to complete the hack, saying we need to go the whole way. Yep. Which she ultimately does, just in time for Todd to get overwhelmed. Goodbye, Todd. We barely knew ye, but at least we knew ye fucking name. Yeah. <laughs> also, for that, you know, the incidental character sacrifice, I check a box on that. Yep, I'll take that too. Yep. Uh, the zombies arrive at Rand's lab, and Chase has a big medical equipment zombie fight sequence, including one of the worst cleaver cut transitions i've ever seen in a film uh he pulls the cleaver out of one zombie and then turns and you know puts it into the head of another and it's supposed to be a single shot and look really cool and the camera turns as he pulls the cleaver way out of frame it has a good solid second for somebody to hand him uh for, for him to move his arm down on his own it's, you know somebody take the cleaver from his hand and he move his arm down he didn't just drop it though Someone, someone took the other cleaver from the prop yeah. cleaver from him because there's too much time that passes. The cleaver, the cleaver came from the director's kitchen. He didn't want it on the floor. The camera pans over and reaches the the head of the prop zombie that he is hitting, that he's moving his hand towards, gets hit. It's still for for it's in frame. It's still for just about three frames before he then moves his hand down to it and it does a little jostle motion and then is completely still. With his hand on the the, the 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 other prop machete handle that is embedded in the prop dead zombie head. Um, I believe that this, however, zombie, this zombie, whoever, uh, is a woman whose breasts are exposed for our pleasure. Yep. Tick. Yeah. Uh, and then he ejects Jordan with the, uh, with the antidote, and she's instantly revived, because, of course, it's uh, always how it works. They head to the roof. Where Chuck is waiting with his helicopter. Hey, we got we got our character transition, right? We got our character crossover. Last time, we got we got the one everyone likes for some reason, and and then this one we got the re- the one everyone should like but doesn't for other reasons. I don't. Why don't people like Chuck? He's a nice guy. He's just he's got a kid. He cares about his kid. Yeah. What's wrong with what's wrong with Chuck? Screw him. Uh, Sandra gets there first. Followed by Chase and Jordan with zombies in a hot pursuit. And uh, I know in a lot of films, you see a lot of films, you watch a lot of films, and there's a helicopter, right? Yep. And, and there are bad guys, uh, sometimes sometimes uh, even zombies, uh, up on a roof with a helicopter. With the rotor blades spinning, you know, like real, real fast, like rotor blades spin. Mm-hmm. And something I always thought would be really interesting to see in a movie is if uh, if somebody 
were to use those spinning rotor blades that are at the scene. Okay, I think I know where you're going, but it's just too wild an idea, but I'm, I'm strapped in for this. Right? It, it's, a little, it's a little out there. Just hang in there with me. Yeah. I have, I've, I got, I've got a place I'm going with this. Okay. Uh, and then these zombies of the seed, and then they built a time machine and traveled back to the 1970s where George Romero did this in <laughs> Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, rotor blades happen. The chopper takes off just as the jets arrive to blow up the hospital. This is a not great Greed's Creed special effect. And like, this was made for Crackle, by the way. Yes. Yeah. This is how you know this was made. If, if you needed the signature Crackle vibe, that's, that's where it is. We call it the Crackle Crackle. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cut to 93 minutes later, which... This film has been 93 minutes. Or isn't, isn't 93 minutes long. So it cuts a gap longer than the film itself to where we find George in the tunnels feeling pretty good about himself when General Allstate's captain shows up. Our board guy, who we've forgotten about for like the last 45 minutes because yeah. been around, uh, shows up, identifies George, and then kills him without waiting for a response leaving him and the new immortality virus behind to be eaten by whatever finds him. Oh, what an irony. <laughs> what a cruel turn of fate for him. And the immortality virus that was so important and would save the world is going to lie forgotten. Check. Check, please. No, that's, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's Dead Rising Endgame. Did you like the film or not? Uh, no. No. No, I didn't it's, like it either. It's not bad enough to... It's it's only bad enough in the sense that it, it allows me to get angry that it's not more interesting. Yeah. In, in any direction, really. Like, like I said at the top, like, it's not good and it's not bad enough. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so there. Like, everything... I couldn't even call it, like, the bare minimum to be a, to be a film. Because there are entertainingly bad movies that do the bare minimum. Right. It's weird in that it goes above the barest minimum and yet still feels woefully insufficient in every department. You wouldn't call it cinema, I don't think. No, if I were to put on my my Martin Scorsese hat, I wouldn't call it cinema. No, no. Um, It is a thing that exists. Uh, It's like halfway between a film and a TV show. It's also like well, it's it's also halfway between being self-aware and being completely clueless about itself. Like it it knows it needs to have all of these things in its movie, or it's decided it has to have all of these things in its movie. It feels like it does, but it doesn't c- care I- I- enough to make them interesting in any way. No, I mean that's it. Like it's got some effort put into it. Yeah, it's got some budget behind it. But just some, just like there is an amount, a nebulous, non-impressive amount. It's 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 like something was applied. Like it's like they they, they just put a, they just sanded it down. That's what it is. They just sanded down everything to a completely smooth surface. Uh, even Billy Zane, who should be. Uh, and has many times, but even in a thing that is mediocre and bland, stands out, right? Like, yeah. 
he he will at least pop. He'll add some color into the proceedings. And, he, and, 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 and even here, we get nothing out of him. Yeah. He, he has been... And that's the character that they wanted, right? But they wanted everything smoothed out and just sort of very flat. Yeah, just, just basically ape a whole bunch of action thrillers in the least offensive possible way. Yeah. Yeah. It's... I mean, I, I, I don't want to use the word, but it, it's a lazy film. At the very least, it's completely unimaginative. There, are, it's, it is, it is weak in so many places that I do feel for the people who were literally, who were legitimately, clearly trying to do something within the material. Right? Like I said, as I said before, I don't think anybody in this is necessarily a bad actor. Uh, I, I think all of the performances are fine. The uh, way the story is structured. It's de- it's reliance. It's it's seeming just intense desire to have this intrigue plot, you know, big over, you know, revelation thing, which I, I makes sense for Dead Rising, sure, because that is an aspect of the narrative. But I think where it it doesn't, it's not conveyed. They're, they're trying so hard to get it in that they can't. This, I don't know. It's just, well, there's just there's not one goddamn original thing in this film. That's, that's what it comes that's down too. to. That's there's too. not one goddamn original thing, and that's fine up to a point, even. But if they did it well, a Dead Rising is so much homage, just as a franchise, right? It, it is Dawn of the Dead from its in, its inception point is Dawn of the Dead. There's a fine line between homage and outright duplication, right? And all they did was like watch a bunch of action thrillers and then replicate things in it that are in all those films, but not as good. And not necessarily give them the attention that they needed to... to, to no, th- yeah, yeah. They, they put the things in there, but they weren't... They didn't think about the other things that supported those elements in those movies and made them work. Yeah. They just put them in there. Yeah, it leads, it, it leads to every moment, every scene, every character, everything having a contextless feel to it. Right. It's like it's like you said they were up on a roof then they're in a car. There may have been transitory shooting in between that. But the film is clipping through these sequences at such a pace to go down that checklist of things that they may as well not have. They may as well have just gone from the rooftop to the car. Yeah. In the way that you wrote it down. Yeah. Because we sure as shit didn't process the information. Because there's no there's no information worth processing in this film. Certainly not enough to justify a near two-hour fucking podcast on it. Oh, it's, I actually haven't been looking at the time. I probably my can't. timer says one, one hour forty-eight. One forty-eight. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> probably be cut down a little after editing, but it's going to be fucking close. Oh dear. And we've got literally in an hour, we're doing Boston's favorite son. Oh, fuck yes, we are. Okay. I haven't stopped working. So, so that we need to figure out, uh, we need to talk about what we're doing next time. Then, uh, I, I think, I think we we are in pretty clear agreement, though. What needs to happen next? I cannot wait. Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, oh God, Doom Annihilation. I am. I'm. I realize I'm setting myself up for a fall here. Oh, setting it's... myself up to be disappointed. But I'm hoping this is such trash. It has. It has all the potential in every direction. I mean, it, it, this is a wild card. It could be anything. It could be as bad as we hope, or it could be as bad as we fear. And <laughs> it's the full spectrum. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be good. 
Gotta so we'll good. we'll do that next. Probably won't be four months. No. We'll no. we'll try and get in a lot quicker. I, I feel I feel like there will be a little more of a sense of personal urgency towards doing this one. Oh, that. I yeah. I'm absolutely on board. Yeah. We'll have a new one out tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> we won't. We will listeners. not. Don't, yeah, do, no, it will be at least two weeks. Yeah. But. God, I might watch it twice. Yeah. Yeah. But, yes. Um, anything you want to plug? Um, I mean, you could, uh, you could come find me on Twitter. I'm at Conrad Zimmerman on there. I do a whole bunch of other podcasts uh of horse bojack horseman fan cast which uh is all has been in a similar scheduling weirdness as this show but uh, i i believe they're i'm i i it's not something i can dedicate time to editing and working on our, our editor has been whew, real just in a busy busy place right now too so that is being worked on um there should be something new there soon um obviously i'm now on podquisition if you haven't been listening to podquisition uh, because I know that there are people who only listen to the spinoff doctors uh, and don't don't track everything else that's on the main feed. Um, I'm on Podquisition now. You can come and hear me on that, and that's a, a been a been a big fun good time. I think we're like, like six episodes in now, or five episodes in. Yeah, I'm loving it. Yeah, it's been great. Um, very very apolitical. Mm. Really focused on the games. Well, we, we really tell them if their favorite games are great or perfect. Yeah, that's that's Ultimately. it. That's exactly it. Ultimately, it's what people want from a video games podcast. Everything. Yeah. And nothing more. Yeah. Uh, you can find uh, pins that I make that are, are pithy and in some, places mean, in some cases mean. And I had an idea for one the other day, and I think I'm going to try and design that tonight after we do Boston's Favorite Son, because that's probably going to be a good idea. And I need really need to make some more. But you can find those at uh, pinfultruth.com, P-I-N-T-R-U-T-H, or no, P-I-N-F-U-L-T-R-U-T-H.com. And this show supported on Patreon by supporting the Jimquisition. So... You, if you're not doing that, and you should be doing that, because I, I, I think there's actually going to be a lot more cool stuff being done that's a little more fun and experimental in the future. So that's a good place to put your money to make that happen, right? Am I right about that? That seems like a place. I mean, I don't know what. I don't know if I've got anything else cooking, but uh, certainly... Um, Lie to the people, man. Don't you know how this works? We're doing a motion picture. Well, you're... <laughs> well, <it's... laughs> I lied too big! I was, I, was, I was literally having a conversation with someone the other day about how we have talked about doing some like TV stuff and have some ideas, and now, now you're just taking it... You're just escalating. <laughs> so, great. They went too hard too quick. <laughs> So anyway, um, doing a motion picture, it'll be out, be out in time for the holidays. Yep, yep, yep. It's going to be a road movie. <laughs> yep. Um, it's about two hours 30 right now. That's just the first cut. We'll um, we'll get it down to like a, a tight hour 40. Yeah, but it takes place entirely in the Mojave Desert. Yep. And it's, it's, about, it's about a pair of uh, circus clowns who get lost and have to try and find their way to Montana uh, where they can rejoin up with their circus uh, that uh, has uh, unfortunately been entirely killed in an airstrike uh, performed yep. by the United States government while they were moving through Colorado. Uh, there's, a, there's a really trippy scene where I eat peyote. <laughs> Is that the Halusi thing? 
Yeah. Oh, wait, no, yeah. no. Yeah, well, well, yeah. I mean, peyote's an option. Joe Pilate. That's what... Uh, there's a scene where I eat Joe Pilate. Oh, Joe Pilate. <laughs> yeah, I always get those... I always get peyote and Joe Pilate mixed up. Right, yeah. It's very easy to mix those up. Yeah. <laughs> What are I, we doing? I eat his bulls and he says, choke on him. We're just warming up for Boss's favorite son in an hour, right? That's what's happening here. That's true, yeah. Yeah, we got to do that in now less than an hour. Let's yeah. wrap it up because I'm on... Uh, I've been working since like a little after five and I need to go and wash myself. Yeah, 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 All me right. too. All right. Thank you for listening. We will be back next time with Doom Annihilation. Though if you're still on this feed, there'll be more podquisition as always. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.